treason, sedition, rebellion. This is the heritage of the American patriot. Those revolutionaries who stood on principle to fight against tyranny no matter the cost. And that spirit lives strong today in the activists and freedom fighters who fight against the authoritarian state. Each in their own way, each with their own mission, united for the cause. had the idea to run on a platform of fuck the police prior to actually winning the primary. I mean, AOC is a drama queen and she's full of shit. They said, you don't get to tell us no, we're in the state health department, and I said, hell no. You brought a freaking guillotine. People already pushing back in ways that didn't even need any votes to be cast. I'm not ratting on anybody, and I did what I did, so you're going to have to give me what the law says you have to give me. You want to make the world a better place? Have some babies, and raise them to not be stupid. Hope I don't get canceled. Talk to you. These are the people whose stories I'm here to share. I'm Justin O'Donnell, and this is Submersive. Man, governments are not going to like this shit. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls... Activists, anarchists, shit posters, and people of the internet, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Subversive Number 71. As always, I'm your host, Justin O'Donnell. And before we get started, just remember whatever platform you listen on, whether YouTube Live, Odyssey, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, Breaker, or on the air at LRN.fm, you can help grow the show by liking, commenting, subscribing, leaving a review, and most of all, sharing with your friends. And if you enjoy the content, please visit our Patreon and join the insurrection at patreon.com slash O'Donnell. Again, that's patreon.com slash O'Donnell. And make sure to check out our sponsor, Snack Swag, where you can get all your favorite Liberty merch, brand new designs, official merchandise for this show and others, brand new designs for dresses, t-shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, and more. Again, that's snackswag.com. You can get all your favorite Liberty merch and your official submersive branded podcast merch. So the one and only store where you can literally wear your principles on your sleeves and if you want to keep in touch between shows follow me on social media and join our community discord channel where you can chat with other fans of the show at any time and all these links can be found in the description of the video or podcast you're listening to so make sure you check them out today now coincidentally we're streaming this night after yet another school shooting left 14 kids in a texas elementary school dead and well, that's just one late-term abortion away from a dumb debate and a bad joke. Not a minute was left to waste before the lives and future potential of the children was politicized to clamor for gun control by the left on social media. How many children need to die before you'll give up your guns, they ask. How many children? Won't you think of the children? The children are the future. Well, they're right. They are. And that's why the answer to that first question has to be all of them. Every last one. Because they shouldn't be tools or chips to bargain with for political agendas and pursuits because the children are our future, the next generation. They're the ones who will be charged with cleaning up our messes and taking up the banner of the fights that they deem worthy to continue in our stead. But what does that actually mean for the liberty movement and libertarians like ourselves? The Libertarian Party has been in existence for over 50 years, and while it hasn't really accomplished much politically, it's transcended multiple generations, yet I've only met a small handful of people, two that I can name, whose parents were members of the Libertarian Party and raised them to be second-generation libertarians. So where does the next generation of freedom fighters come from? What brings people to the liberty movement? What brings people out of the woodwork to pick up that banner and fight for freedom? Because in 50 years, if the last generation failed to raise us, then who are we raising in our, to replace us? How did we all get here, and who comes after us? If not our children, what's motivating the youngest amongst us to get involved? 
And what's the experience like coming of age in the liberty movement? So joining the show tonight, answering those questions, and maybe some more, the one and the only, the young David Brady, the Mises Caucus meme-making teenager from the Midwest, host of The Road to Providence, and an aspiring ethical journalist, if we can ever figure out what the hell that is, who is hell-bent on fighting for liberty and freedom while still in high school. Thanks for joining the show, David. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me, man. But to answer what an ethical journalist is, that means being put on a list by the CIA and then promptly taken out. Well, if you're not already on a list of the CIA at this point in your life, are you really doing things right? Are you making waves? I know I'm no, on no. lists. I've been told I've been considered an unindicted co-conspirator. I've been detained at airport security. And you're not far behind. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. that That's the dream, man. That's the dream. So, so, I mean, it really is, like, what's your story? How did you get to where you are? How did you get to evolve to the level and the degree you are? You're still in high school. What possesses a high school kid to give two shits about politics in the first place? Oh, man. Like, if you if you want to get my, like, what really radicalized me and pushed me towards politics is giving me a lot of free time while they locked us down. Uh, <laughs> you know, they, they took two basically two years of my education. You know, I was, like, one of those kids. I loved school. I loved to be there. Now not so much. Uh, but they they took a lot of time for me. So I spent my time watching political stuff all of the time. My dad was like, hey, you should check out this Michael Malice guy on Tim Pool. And Michael Malice kind of pitched me down, you know, the the rabbit hole of the media lying that to get us into wars. <laughs> and from there, <coughs> well, I don't know, man. That just it kind of sent me down the rabbit hole. I saw that Michael Malice was on like part of the problem. And I followed from there. I was like, hey, this Dave Smith guy does seem to be right about just about everything. So why not listen to him more? And so eventually I became a libertarian after I got more exposed to like some of the more economic stuff and all the arguments started to make sense. I mean, you became a libertarian, but your first exposure was like uh, one of the leading anarchist podcasters out there, Michael Malice. So, I mean, mm -hmm. I feel like you almost went backwards. Yeah, for a bit, for a bit, yeah, for a bit, I was like, I can't buy into like this this anarchy stuff. That seems too extreme. And now I'm just like, you know what? It's the only ethical conclusion to libertarianism. Now, how has this affected? Like, you, you say you kind of got exposed and radicalized during lockdown, so you're stuck at home. You're spending all day online for virtual school and doing all this kind of crazy stuff that doesn't make sense in any realm of reality. But like, now we're by all by all means, by and large, back to normal. Like you're back to school, you're back to normal. Like, is your awakening and radicalization really affected your life as a high school kid in any way? Oh, oh man, definitely. It definitely has. It's made me a lot less like accepting of the school system. I always have to like, <laughs> I always have to raise my hand and be like, you know, that's not right. You know that, right? Like, this is not how economics works, or this is not how history actually happened here. Uh, I have to correct people on all these things. And I have to like raise concerns, like we're t like in, like in my English classes, we talk about like the catcher and the rye, and I'll bring up something. Right you know, yeah, and I was like, you know what? This is all of this anxiety stuff that we're dealing with is because we coddled a gener a whole generation and made them into like safe spaces, so that way they didn't have to deal with any strife. And people are looking at me like I'm a lunatic. <coughs> so that sort of thing. It's made me a lot feel a lot less, you know ambition driven to do well in my education i do well enough anyways but it's like it's made me feel like i want to do want to really put in that work a lot less hey, listen from a burned out former gifted kid to a future burned out former gifted kid don't let the school system get you down and never joke about you do okay without just passing with the passing the time because let me tell you now the 
feeling like you're underwhelmed in school and not being prepared and not being challenged at all is a surefire sign to see you're about to get slapped upside the side of the head by life and not be prepared for anything because they're not teaching it to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's just, so, it just, it, it really makes me realize that I, it wastes so much of my time. Like I used to be like, you know, the average kid, you know, I didn't like, I didn't like homework, but now I'm approaching it like the same thing with like, you know, they take eight, they take eight hours of my life, five days a week. And then they demand more on top of that. Like so what, my favorite was, I found out my senior year of high school, I was sitting there in that position. I decided one day, I don't like fucking homework anymore. So I took a look at the syllabus. I'm like, huh, homework's only 15% of my grade. Attendance is only 10%. And I get straight A's in all the tests. I stopped going to class and I stopped doing the homework. And I still got a B. <laughs> <laughs> nice, man. Nice. nice. So, uh, but that doesn't prepare you for life. And you're right. Like, you, you sit there mind-numbingly bored out of your mind in school. So, I mean, what are you doing with that time rather than focusing on the public education? Are you doing anything to, like fight your system within are you doing an activism while you're in school because you have an opportunity a lot of us wish we had i wish i had my libertarian anarchist awakening while i was still in the thrust of public school system to be able to like stand up from the inside and say fuck all of you um but i'm not necessarily saying stand on your desk pull in oh captain my captain and tell your principal to go fuck himself (laughs) but like what kind of opportunities like you you say you're arguing with teachers you're debating the points in school but like what is there, like, in your opinion, that you could be doing? Like, is there anything more you could be doing? Or, like, what kind of opportunity has this given to you as someone who, I mean, let's face it, you're, you awakened yourself into an activist and you need to be activated. Yeah, I mean, it really gives me, like, a captive audience in a way because everyone else is stuck there like me. Otherwise, they get, you know, hogtied by the school resource officer or something for being dysfunctional. So it gives me, a, a like, a good captive audience, and I just talk about these things. Like, I'm bringing it up, like, we're, we're, when we talk about economic issues, and I'm like, you realize this is the fault of, the, of a central bank, right? <laughs> and I just walk them through, like, you know inflation and the austrian business cycle theory all this sort of thing explaining how this all works and they and like my teachers look at me like i'm a lunatic um i don't know so i get to just rap i get to talk about this stuff i like i I, i'm constantly pushing back like i even explicitly in like my english classes they'll be talking about stuff like you know marxist class theory and i'll be pushing out like isn't that responsible for like millions of deaths? Like, why are we, why are we considering this as a legitimate point of view anymore when we're, when it's led to that much suffering? You know, I, I get to, I genuinely push back and I make clear to my fellow students that, you know, right now we're in a literal prison, right? We're in a prison. We're being, we're forced to, we're being forced to be obedient, be silent. We can't go to the bathroom without asking for, for permission right now like um, imagine living in that sort of situation we essentially live in a prison heck my school was designed by a prison architect but i i remember when i was in college i take i took a picture of one of our academic buildings and this is probably the first meme i ever made um and this is over a decade ago but i took a picture of one of our academic buildings and then a picture of the um massachusetts maximum security prison from the same angle <laughs> looking down and they were indistinguishable if you put them both in black and white mm-hmm. um, but yeah I, I think most schools are designed that way um, because prisons and schools have the same general purpose to control and pacify a population for a period of time um, have you pointed out to people in your school that maybe you as students are being judged in the same manner we judge the intelligence of animals how well you listen to instructions 
Yeah, man, it's just, it's abundantly clear because you'll see, like, educators that kind of, like, throw a little meat to you where they're like, you know, people learn in different ways, but nothing changes nonetheless. It's like, you know, sit in your desk, be (laughs) quiet. Uh, If you're the dysfunctional kid who kind of, like, jumps around back and forth, like, you know, you're you're a normal kid who wants to get outside and do something, well, you're kind of smacked around, right? So. It's it's abundantly clear that we're being treated like we're animals, like we're just kind of serfs to just listen and obey the state and the state actors who we've been put right in front of. You know, these little activists. I mean, my school isn't like too like where there's like those activist teachers in it, but you can kind of see seedlings where like they sprinkle in all this stuff. And, you know, it's pretty abundantly clear. And I try to point it out when possible. Now, one thing that's been... Bernie, I, I, I've done a lot of thinking back and a lot of reflection on my own time in high school and my own education in the 20 years since it's been a thing and since it's happened. And um, well, I, I tell people I didn't become a libertarian overnight. I be, I had a long series of events in my life that led up to kind of a breaking point where I realized, oh, shit, this is not how the world is supposed to be. And it wasn't until I was in my mid and late 20s that I really came around to being an active libertarian <laughs> and engaging in libertarianism and libertarian activism. But as I look back, there was a lot of things that came up in my education um, that really informed my ethics and my worldview that I later came to understand, just not at the time. And a lot of that was the way my teachers taught me. And I was fortunate enough to go to a very conservative kind of libertarian leaning public high school in Massachusetts of all places. Um, and I think it's one of the last bastions of conservatism left in the entire state of Massachusetts is that small town I grew up in. But my teachers imparted on us like where, uh, Fahrenheit 451 was required reading. In 1984 was required reading. Um, Dead Poets Society was required to be watched for uh, freshman year. Like all of these things that really informed an anti-authoritarian and understanding of the dangers of authoritarian government in me as a younger person and as a student. Do they still teach any of that? Is there anything that you're now becoming aware of since you've had your libertarian awakening in your education that still kind of plants this seed of loving and embracing freedom in young people or is it the exact opposite 20 years after i've graduated high school um well i mean like i can definitely see little seedlings where there's like kind of libertarian things in there like i know we talk about in like one of my civics classes like you know the nazis versus skokie you know where the nazis wanted to go protesting through the town of skokie and the court was like yeah they have the right to protest right so i remember we were taught like yeah that's a good thing like we, like we were taught that that was a good thing that they were able to do that. Like as abhorrent and terrible as those people are, as in their worldview, uh, they were allowed to have their right to protest, right, and their right to go and like have their little rally going through mm-hmm. that town. As long as they weren't hurting people, we were taught that was a good thing. I know Animal Farm is still required reading. I, I think I would technically be reading it next year if I wasn't like in more of the advanced classes. We learned about the Holocaust, which I think I, I think is pretty important to learn about that. You know, it's a state. It's a state systemically killing some of their own people, which, you know, might be a little bit of a problem. Uh, So you have like these little bit of sprinkling of like libertarian messages, kind of like, you know, like these old school patriots sort of thing where you go like, yeah. I'm going to pause on one thing, though. Did you just say you would be reading Animal Farm next year if you were in the more advanced classes? No, if I was not in the advanced classes. Okay, that is a children's (laughs) book. That book was written at like a fourth grade reading level. Yeah, I remember reading that back in like eighth grade, and I really enjoyed the book. I, I it was it was a good book, and it definitely sounded like yeah, 
I can definitely see the analogies to the Soviet Union. Right, but but it's mind blowing that they don't teach it until senior year <coughs> high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like that. That is literally it's a book that was written at a children's reading level to impart those themes and those ideas among, upon children. Um, like it, you should be priming kids in middle school and elementary school with the Animal Farm and getting them ready for 1984 by sophomore year in high school. Mm, yeah, I mean, I, I would definitely like to see them a lot earlier. We don't read like. I, 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 we don't read 1984 in class, as far as I know. Like, to my knowledge, we read uh, Lord of the Flies, fittingly enough. <laughs> what about Fahrenheit 451? I, I've personally never read the book because it was never a required book for me to read. You should check and see if it's even allowed. Check your school library. I, I, I've definitely copy. seen it. I've okay. seen it. They have a copy on the shelves. Because I have, I have heard of schools banning it in the past few years and not in soft bands. People are doing the soft bands now where they're pulling stuff out of uh, the libraries. They're not necessarily banning it, but they're saying it's not part of the curriculum. It can't be graded. Um, Anthem Fahrenheit 451. Oh, Atlas I actually, Shrugged. I've actually seen Anthem and Atlas shrugged on a, on a, on one of I'm like 10th grade English teachers bookshelf. So it's there. You definitely see Anthem. I read Anthem. It wasn't like as a school thing, but like I remember like my very first exposure to like any libertarian, and it wasn't like knowing she was a libertarian. It was Ayn Rand's Anthem because my dad was like, "Hey, you should read this book and do the essay contest for it." And so I wrote some terrible essay about Anthem and what it really was and what I thought it was. I don't even remember what I wrote anymore. But like so that was my part. so your dad, your dad handing you <laughs> Ayn Rand novels, your dad telling you to listen to Michael Malice. Does your dad know he's an anarchist or a libertarian? And he's been priming you for this whole thing or is uh, this just incidental? Uh it's a little bit incidental. My dad finds value in it. He's constantly challenging me on that sort of thing. He's like a paleo conservative. He's like the he's like a Pat Buchananite. You know, which makes him better than 99% of conservatives. Yeah, but, but he, that's a low bar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. My, me and my dad agree on probably 95% of stuff. So I don't know. He he definitely has an interest in this sort of thing. And he'll like listen to Dave Smith a bit. He likes Michael Malice. But he's definitely more of like a paleo conservative kind of guy, you know, kind of raised with this, this idea of, you know, b believing in freedom overall. Maybe not necessarily like, you know, totally free market laissez-faire stuff, though. So you, when you went and joined the Mises Caucus, did your dad join the GOP Mises Caucus? No, no, he didn't. <laughs> I don't think uh, he knows that they exist, and that's probably for a good thing. A good thing, really? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't. I, I honestly don't see that venture lasting very long. To be completely honest, I, I think the entire GOP is designed against you know liberty groups succeeding largely. Like you see them railing against Massey and Rand Paul all the time. So I don't see that kind of group succeeding very long. Or being any or being successful in any form other than maybe like in a small rural state that isn't Florida. I don't see them having a lot of success in Florida, to be completely honest. I think it's a fad thing where that won't last very long and that'll just fade away at some point. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, they all seem to be condensing and coalescing in Florida, which I mean power to them. If the uh, GOP wants to embrace Florida man as their version of freedom, they can absolutely have it. Um, meanwhile, we'll be here in New Hampshire with the Free State Project living an actual freedom in our lifetime hey. mentality. Um, now, you're like, what, 17? You're in high school, and you've already committed to the idea of wanting to move across the country to join the Free State Project to be around other libertarians in the fight for liberty in our lifetime. Like, how was that thought process? And 
um, have you told your parents? <laughs> <laughs> uh, and like, Ian, like, what me? What was the final like straw on the camel's back for you to decide to, you know, it's it's not enough to be a libertarian. It's not enough to fight against the state. You have to do it somewhere else. I don't. I really don't know what what caught my attention about the Free State Project. I think it was just like a little bit of a buildup that eventually happened. Yep. Like I just saw the Free State Project on Twitter. I followed them and I saw like them constantly winning. I'm like, oh my god, this is wonderful. <laughs> New Hampshire's actually winning. What's going on here? And so I just watch it happen. I just slowly. I'm like, I want to be there. Like I, the Minnesota Libertarians. I love those guys. They're awesome. They're like great guys. Like James Gentleman, Sam mm-hmm. Whiffling, or all those guys. I love them to death. But like. New Hampshire is a different kind of animal and I would love to be there and not have to worry about like, you know, overreach and like the overreaching taxes of Minnesota. So I, so I have my heart set on New Hampshire. That's the goal. I want to move to New Hampshire and live free. I, I joked with somebody. I, I think we need to start recruiting more people like yourself in your position, like kids in their junior and senior years of high school who are coming to the understanding of how the world works. Cause there's so few of you to be honest, that are breaking through the brainwashing of public schools and saying, nah, come to New Hampshire now because the biggest excuse we get, a lot of people are like, I can't move to New Hampshire. Like, I've got my job, my career, and my family holding me where I am. You don't got a job, a career, and most 18-year-olds just want to get the hell away from their family. Uh, so maybe not in your case, but it seems to me, I remember when I was 18, I couldn't get away from my family fast enough, so I joined the military, and then I got pissed off when they found out my first duty station was going to be less than 20 miles away from where I grew up. Oh, Lord. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I have this I have this wild theory that I've been thinking, like, New Hampshire, it's got limited land space, right? You guys should annex Maine. You should take Maine and be like you're part of New Hampshire and let let DC Listen, become the 50th state. I've got a that whole way plan. the Democrats that way the country be, becomes more blue while New Hampshire becomes better and better. Listen, I've got a whole plan, and uh, it doesn't just include Maine. When New Hampshire secedes, we're going to annex Maine and take Maine with us. Absolutely, we're also going to take all of Vermont except for Burlington, and we're gonna uh, we're gonna trade Burlington to Montreal and Quebec for permanent water rights on the St. Lawrence Riverway. And we're also going to take Nova Scotia, Newfoundland, and Prince Edward Island Ooh. to make the better England. <laughs> I mean, I mean, come on, man. If New Hampshire is winning, I, I, I hate imperialism as much as the next guy, but if it's New Hampshire, how much can they really complain? Come on, guys. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> take me over and let me be free. It, it's, there's an old joke about, so I, I often question if Practical anarchy is something we'd ever seen in like an anarcho-capitalist future in our lifetime, like a world absent a state. But if there's gonna have to be a state, a state that's just gonna leave me the fuck alone and let me live my life without bothering me or interfering with me if I'm somewhere in the woods in Maine and New Hampshire is the closest thing to an acceptable alternative as an anarchist that I can accept. Yeah. Um, so it's not, is it really imperialism if you're leaving people alone? No, I, I wouldn't say so. I think that it's just <laughs> freeing them from the chains that is Maine. Right. And well, yeah. Maine's not that bad. Uh, Maine, uh, a recent study on gun violence, circling back to what I opened with tonight with the uh, school shooting that happened in Texas this morning. Um, Maine, New Hampshire, and Vermont are known for being the three safest states in the country, the lowest uh, homicide, murder, and violent crime rates in the entire country. And they also are the only three states that weirdly enough, have virtually zero gun laws whatsoever on the books. 
uh, between those three states. Uh, New Hampshire just recently repealed our last gun law. It was a prohibition on carrying a loaded firearm while mm-hmm. driving an ATV. Yeah. I that was that. our last gun law. Um, we had successfully managed to get rid of everything else before that. But yeah, with no gun laws, no violence, where's the where's the push where's the height this is why we don't see crazy legislation or any kind of push for gun control here in new hampshire is because it's not an issue like constitutional carry passed in new hampshire with democrats supporting it yeah that's wild man like i so, didn't they try to didn't i, I believe I, from what i've heard from reed he kind of moved out because they were trying to pass red flag laws and then sununu just killed that and then you guys just adopt constitutional carry after that is that is that is that accurate? No. It was uh, so it, weirdly enough. So we the first major win the gun rights activists in New Hampshire had on, in the Liberty Movement was under a Democratic governor, uh, Maggie Sun, where they legalized suppressors and silencers <laughs> and um, ATF regulated um, suppressed rifles under a Democrat governor, and they passed it by calling it the Hearing Protection Act. Hey, not I mean, to legalize suppressors and silencers, but to call it a hearing protection act. Um, and the pitch was to reduce noise in neighborhoods around gun ranges so the community <coughs> felt safer. I mean, hey, it's a good way to kind of pitch it to kind of guys who want to be all softy and you know, all that stuff, right? And that's the way you have to pitch things like that. Um, now, did they? You, you are still in school. This is, I, I really mm-hmm. want to focus on this because it's, it is something novel to me because I'm, I've been so disconnected from public schools for so long where lucky I, you <laughs> it's not through luck. It's through age. It's because I graduated so goddamn long ago. Um, and I never even walked at a graduation, believe it or not. I left high school early to go to boot camp, uh, and then left college early for other military activities. So even though I have a high school diploma and two college degrees, I've never actually walked at a graduation. Uh, but that's another story for another day what like what is the mood and mentality surrounding politics in high school because i remember the when i was in high school the closest thing to politics ever ever entering into high school in my time was when i decided to make a joke run for republican town committee and if you're not familiar with the way massachusetts (laughs) politics work um town committees for the parties are actually elected at a at during the general election and they actually have a lot of power they dictate the town like they involve themselves in the town government with the party committees and i uh, jokingly told them my friends hey i'm 18 i'm a senior you should all go in down at lunch to the election because they were voting in the gym and write me in uh for town council and then i won with that right in and didn't know what to do but that was the only thing political that ever happened in my school like in the you've been in high school for the fall of trump and rise of biden yeah how has the political climate affected that oh man like it, it really started when i was like in fifth grade really when like trump was running for president and ever there were so many people who were just so staunchly against this wild man who I think was a net win for the country that and that he kind of furthered the political divide that was happening. <laughs> like, you know, stick a stick an axe in the crack and like help split that split that wood. Like, let's keep it going. But like it, that happened and po- politics became a thing that people talked about. We weren't necessarily really informed until like maybe after like ninth grade, 10th grade. But like politics is a thing that we talk about a lot. Um, 
you'll see debates happening like at lunches. You'll see them happening in various classes. A lot of the time, generally the people who talk the most about politics, they're the, they're, they're the liberal leaning students, right? The people who live properly in town, since I live in a rural town and community. So you see a lot of conservative kids, uh, but like they're the liberal kids who are in the town who basically have no power because everyone else is a conservative. So they think that they're being the rebels, right? I guess all these rednecks, you know, but you know, they're, they're constantly talking politics. And then there's me, you know, the libertarian <laughs> who's like opposed to everything those guys stand for, you know, that sort of thing. Now, it's, do you take the evangelism route and have you tried to convert and recruit your classmates to come across to the dark side? I, I've tried a bit, man. I've tried a bit. Like I have, a, I have a friend. He's like you told him that we have weed. <laughs> no, I mean, I have, a, I have a good friend. He's he's more of like a conservative guy. He loves though, like free market sort of stuff. He hates communism and like any sort of like government interference and that stuff. But he just can't get over the drug stuff. So I've been trying to itch, inch in my inches way across the line. Don't, don't tell him we have, we have weed. weed. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I, I think I can make ground with a lot of these people. Because I'm like, when I argue with these people, they, they don't know how to approach me because I don't fit into their binary system. If you know Trump bad, Biden bad. So I, I kind of roast all of their politicians on a spit. And they don't know how to approach me. because I don't, know, we don't kinda, have like, It's kind of absolutely mind-blowing to me that... People who believe there's more than 25 genders still think politics is a binary. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's like, kinda, it's, if gender can't even be a binary when they're scientifically male or female, how come politics has to be a binary with only a right and a left? I mean, yeah, man, I totally agree. It's like the Michael, it's like the Michael Mouse thing, where the NPCs will approach him, and he will just, and he'll, uh, you attach, you, you just automatically attach. Yeah, I'm not a Trump supporter, and they don't know how to do deal with that. So you just go back to insulting Trump again, like that's supposed to hurt you in some way. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, uh, what are your plans for the future? Like, where do you go from here? I mean, we know you're eventually coming to New Hampshire. You're eventually going to land here. You're not going to make it to Porkfest this summer, but we're going to get you out here next summer for it. Next summer. Um, but like, so you're what? You're going into your senior year? Yeah, going into my senior year after this. I one. thought so you were my, already a senior. This is wild. No, I've been man. Sitting, ladies and gentlemen, apparently I've been helping to groom a high school student on, Facebook, <laughs> on Twitter for the past year and a half, but thinking he was already an adult. Uh, <laughs> so, but no, um, like where, where do you go from there? Like, what are your plans? Like, where do you, like, what do you, your perfect scenario, like for yourself and your future, uh, not just as an activist, but as a person, like, what do you want to do now that you have this kind of a skewed view on the world? I don't know, man. I want to start my own business. Like, I don't want to work for anyone. I, I really don't want to work for anyone else. But at some point, I'm going to have to start by working for someone, you know, get my foot yeah. in the ground, actually be able to, you know, have a place to live for a while. Because, you know, I can't <laughs> unless my unless my my show somehow takes off in the next year while I'm in school. I don't reasonably see it as me making a, a lot of money off of like what I'm doing. So <clears throat> to, to really get started, I got to I, I got to get a job. And, you know, I got a gift of the gab, so probably something in, like, sales. And I want to move to New Hampshire as soon as I can. I don't know. I, I, there's some part of me that kind of wants to go to college just for the experience. But, you know, so much student debt and waiting so long to get to New right. Hampshire when you don't know when the collapse might happen. I know. You can I, also I would like go to school in New Hampshire. In. I mean, I could. I, I, I sent my ACT scores to Dartmouth. So, I don't know. AC, I never even took an ACT. Jesus Christ. Um, I didn't know those were still a thing. <laughs> 
I, I oh, don't yeah, think they, they actually care anymore at a lot of schools. I know there's a lot of schools that said they've stopped even caring about the ACT and the SAT. Um, just because standardized testing is racist. Not because it's racist, because it doesn't actually yeah. tell you anything about the student. I mean, yeah, that's, that's um, very much true. Just like an IQ score, like people. The IQ does nothing but get you qualified for Mensa. Um, the people test for their IQs all the time to see if they're qualified for Mensa or one of the top 1% in IQ. But do you know what occupation actually is the highest representation per capita of Mensa membership? The highest IQ <coughs> per capita across their entire occupation? Was it going to be like engineers or something? No, porn stars. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> right. It's, <laughs> It, it doesn't make any sense. And like I tested for Mensa. I went to a Mensa meetup in Boston back when I lived in Boston because I thought it'd be funny. Um, and then I quickly realized if I wanted to hang out with a bunch of autistic people, I could just go to a libertarian convention. But I met more janitors in just like elementary school teachers and people who worked in sales than any engineers, mathematicians or scientists. Yeah, I, I remember like Adam ruins everything. I really liked that show for a long time, and I don't put a lot of weight into what he says in a lot of things. But he's kind of mentioned that the IQ tests are kind of skewed towards like a certain class of people, you know, like more towards the rich and wealthy. So they ask you weird questions that like lower class people might not have experience with. So maybe like the porn star thing is because they like act all that stuff and pretend to be rich a lot of the time. I don't know. But like there's like there's definitely a class skew amongst what they do there. So I'm not sure how IQ tests work. Yeah, and, and so it is crazy, <laughs> but no, I mean, yeah, you can come to college in New Hampshire, and there you don't have to go to Dartmouth or St. Anselm's or any I just of these it there. D1 fancy rich people schools. We have nice Concord Community College and New Hampshire Technical Institute and uh, other working schools as well. Um, th there's plenty of uh, great opportunities here, even if you don't work. Like, one People talk about there's jobs everywhere. Everyone should come to New Hampshire. Everyone should work in New Hampshire. And I, I, I've been credited. I know uh, Roth Birdie and Masha and a few others have complained a lot about Free State Project evangelism. People telling everyone move to New Hampshire. It's easy. Everyone's hiring. Yeah, I, 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 really I kind the of case. And yeah, I, I kind of, I, I kind of lean against that a little bit. Like the over evangelism. Like, like I agree, the Free State Project rocks. But like, not everyone has the ability to just move to New Hampshire. Sometimes sure. they have like family that they have but, to stay with. It's Stuff not. Like it's really not easy to move to New Hampshire. If you're <laughs> trying to find a job in New Hampshire. If you're if mm -hmm. somebody who works in tech and remote, and you're bringing a job with you, that's incredible. It's really easy to do. If you're someone young with no really idea of what field you want to go into, and you're wide open, pretty easy. If you want to work in sales, I can have you started tomorrow. There's a sales opening on every corner in New Hampshire, but not everyone is suited to sales, and unfortunately, libertarians tend to be the worst. When it comes yeah. to being suited to sales and communicating their ideas to other people and selling something to other people. But you definitely do have the gift of the gab for such a young kid. That is for sure. Uh, Robert Daniel in the chat on YouTube says you need to become an educator. I don't know. Teach. Man. <laughs> I don't know. Like some part of me really does like teaching, but I don't know if I could deal with like a high school students at all. Like just the amount of work that goes into that and dealing with high school students. That just sounds painful. That just sounds so painful who man, says but... it has to be high school students? I don't know. I don't know, high school students. I'm not good. I'm not good with like working. I'm not good at teaching like little kids either. So I, don't know. Hey, I will say so. When I was doing master's work, I taught college kids, mm -hmm. and it was the most miserable experience <laughs> of my life. I would never want to go back to doing it because there are people who thought they knew everything already. But you can find a niche, maybe something you could do. Um, it just it blows my mind to have. Uh, 
to talk to someone so young, so certain of what they want to do, but also like aware of the uncertainty of it. Yeah. Like I remember when I was your age, I had no goddamn clue what I wanted to do with my life whatsoever. Mm -hmm. So I went, I joined the army and went to college. If I could go back knowing the things I know now, the only two things in my life I would do differently would be not go to college and not join the army. (laughs) (laughs) The two biggest mistakes I ever made. And they were mistakes I made when I was uncertain about my future. Um, so it's nice to see that you're so certain about your yeah. future. Yeah, um, I'm just like yeah. I I saw Bruce Fenton kind of talk on Twitter. You know, he's running. I think he's running as a GOP guy in the same Senate race as Kaufman, which I I, I like Bruce too. But I, I'm definitely more on like the Kaufman side. I wanted to see more of an LP libertarian. Bruce is, I love Bruce Fenton. Bruce Fenton is a fantastic person. He's a great candidate. Mm-hmm. I wish I don't think he's going to do well in the Republican primary just because the Republican primary is a beast of uh, establishment terribleness all wrapped up in one in that race Mm -hmm. um i've known bruce for a long time back when i lived in massachusetts before i ever moved to new hampshire i tried to run for state rep as a libertarian and bruce was my first ever campaign donation because he lived down the street from me in massachusetts at the time and he donated to me 50 dollars in bitcoin back in 2015 Oh man, you should have held on to that. <laughs> you should have held on to that. And I immediately spent it to help get the campaign off the ground. Oh man. Um, oh man, dude. Like, yeah, but like I saw him talk on Twitter about how he could teach someone in sales or something of the sort and start them off like making like a make like a trip six figures on the in one year. And I would like to do something like that. Like, come on, Bruce. Bruce, if you're hiring, let me know after next year, and I'll, and I'll move up to New Hampshire to do work that job. I have, I'll put in the work ethic. I don't know, man. Just get, get myself off the ground. I want to own like a nice little house, like a little bit out of side of a town, own some acreage, like do a little bit of sustainability stuff, have my own nice little studio thing for, cause I, I want to go into media production. That is what I love and what I want to do. I want to do writing, journalism and media production. That is the sort of thing I want to do. I mean, it's something you want to do, something we'd all love to do. Um, it's something very difficult to do. And I think, yeah. Uh, you, unlike most people your age who are saying, I'm going to be a journalist or I'm going to work in media, you've actually kind of gotten a grasp on how hard it is to do. Yeah. Um, just keeping up on a regular schedule, scheduling guests for your own show, producing your own show. Like, how di- how much work goes into how little reward for it? Mm-hmm. Um, like, I remember my first book I published, I wrote, I spent probably two years brainstorming and outlining a book before I sat down for the week and a half to hammer it out and write it. Um, and it, it was an experience to do and actually take all that time and work and energy to produce something. And after all the refinement I did, and it's a very short work, it's only about a hundred pages. Um, and it's a sales training book for libertarian anatomy <laughs> of the sales. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's a lot of work, a lot goes into it and it's not easy to do. Um, so props to you for trying, you at least getting the leg up on people your age by starting early. Yeah, I don't man. know many other high school juniors with their own podcast and dedicated audience. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if I have necessarily a dedicated audience. I got a group of like lib- people on Twitter that like pop into my streams to kind of have fun in the chat. I don't know. Maybe that that'll give me a start though, because it has me gives me an audience, and an audience to interact with also I think helps. So I want to do something. I want to do something kind of like um, I want to do like a morning show and then I want to do like an an evening panel like every so often. I know stuff like that. I want to do I want we need we also need like (coughs) content outside of like, you know, just talking politics in the news and the liberty sphere. I want to do like, you know, I I know I 
threw the thing forward on Twitter. Like, I want to do like a magic, sh a show where we play Magic the Gathering or something <laughs> like that. Have some more like just like fun gameplay, stuff like that. I want to do a show around D&D, &D, stuff that I enjoy that I also want to bring to like the Liberty Sphere. Because you know what? I bet there's a ton of people who also enjoy that and would love to see like a quality made show around that. Now, I, I, I have a question here. This is, this is going to seem like an odd tangent to the audience, but I promise you it'll circle back to Libertarianism. We'll circle movement. back to it. How long have you been playing Magic at the Gathering? Oh, and man. When I mean, did you get into it? <clears throat> I probably started in like seventh grade. Seventh grade. So I'm in, I'm in 11th now. So it's like, what, four years now I've been I've been playing it for five years. So, um, and so are you familiar with the intricate, uh, in intimate relationship between Magic the Gathering and the Libertarian Party? I, I, I've heard a lot about it, man. Like, I've heard that they're like a lot of libertarians play magic. I know, I like at a summer camp I worked at, there was, they weren't libertarians, but they played a lot of Magic the Gathering. So, like, you'll find these weird little niches where people will just will play it a ton. So, I'm not sure, like, how ingrained it is with the Libertarian Party itself, though. Though, I'm sure you're you'll tell me. So, Wizards of the Coast, the <coughs> company that owns Magic the Gathering, mm -hmm, uh, yeah. was founded by uh, Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson when they created Dungeons and Dragons. And Dave Arneson's uh, from New Hampshire, he was very involved in the Libertarian Party. Both of them had FBI files built on them because with, uh, Dungeons and Dragons was considered satanic infiltration by the conservatives at the time. Mm -hmm, yeah. And both of their FBI files read a line that said, known associates of the Libertarian Party. Ooh. <laughs> and when Matt, when Wizards of the Coast brought up Magic the Gathering from Richard Garfield and started promoting it in this big new thing and it started to take off, Magic the Gathering triggered the one of the last free speech, one of the last true free speech battles where the left was on the right side. Um, <laughs> where uh, the satanic panic of 1996, where, they, uh, where the state of New York and conservative groups across the country tried to, tried to ban Magic the Gathering for satanic imagery uh, and uh, bringing uh, like horrible imagery and being a satanic game that was brainwashing children. God, I have and a it was, book about this. It was libertarians... And Libertarian Party state affiliates who filed the lawsuits alongside Hasbro uh, and Wizards of the Coast to protect the free speech of Magic the Gathering players to allow them to continue playing. And the first ever Magic the Gathering world champion, Zach Dolan, uh, is still to this day a participating member of the Libertarian Party and has been a delegate to the past several conventions. Damn. Wasn't he, didn't he do like a lot of cocaine at some point? Like after yes, he sir. won the championship, he he became all big and kind of it went to his head and he started doing cocaine and it became a problem. So I'm not going to allege on anybody's <laughs> of uh, performance enhancing drugs. <laughs> performance enhancing drugs. Um, but no, it, it, it's kind of great. It, I have noticed um, there is like kind of a huge crossover between people who are into these fantasy role-playing games and these kind of game theory-based numbers games and um, magic Politics. dungeons and dragons and libertarians um and now lately <laughs> it seems to be like the type of people who are attracted to these games are very political mm -hmm. but on the extremes and on the fringes and i notice you go to any um if you go to any magic of the gathering um Grand Prix or convention, there is a huge kind of, I, I believe, an over-representation of the general population of transgender individuals who are sitting at the game tables and competing. And uh, I got banned from Twitch, and we're still 
waiting for the one-year ban on Twitch to be over for this show uh, because I was playing Magic on Twitch one night on Magic Arena, and somebody in the chat had asked me why I think there was such an overrepresentation of transgender people in the Magic the Gathering community. And I just quickly commented, I'm like, well, why is anybody surprised that somebody who doesn't believe in gender is attracted to fantasy and role-playing? <laughs> <laughs> Nice. So, nice. If anybody's wondering why we're no longer streaming to Twitch every week, that's the reason. And it took them all hey. of 45 seconds to ban the channel after I said it. Oh man. <laughs> oh Lord. But like, you know, I, I I think there would be an interest though. Like if we got like more of like a libertarian group that was like playing magic, like doing a stream around that stuff, I think there would be genuinely an interest in doing that. Like people would tune in to watch people play magic, like on a live stream, doing like some casual chat. Well, I can playing. also imagine, like, if you got a group of libertarians to play libertarian Dungeons and Dragons on a live stream, it might be the most boring thing in the goddamn world to watch. It's like, all right, we're gonna go on a quest. Like, fuck your quest. I'm gonna start a business. <laughs> I was like, what's this? It's gonna be six weeks of a libertarian, uh, gr a group of libertarians leaving everyone alone and not killing their way through the countryside and solving the problems by free market enterprise come on guys let's not be libertarians while we do this let's like, like come on let's step back <laughs> we will not be libertarians and then we'll then we'll do this properly but like yeah i i don't know I, that's something i'm interested in i would just like to do it and actually be able to like market it to somebody well, i just want to play magic challenge. man <laughs> it, it'd be a fun challenge to see if you could play a game of dungeons and dragons while following the map oh lord that just <laughs> <sighs> I mean, I feel like with a libertarian DM, they could they could make it very difficult to do so. I think it'd be difficult to do so, anyways. I mean, yeah. Depending uh, on how tightly you want to follow the definition of the nap, um, do you want to be a pacifist, or do you want to agree that based on the Libertarian Party's definition, Timothy McVeigh did nothing wrong? <laughs> it all depends on your definition of the word initiate <laughs> and your yeah. definition of the word force. So. I don't know, man. I just I need more disposable income. I need to get like a good job so that way I can go and <laughs> buy more magic cards because I haven't because I feel like when you play with like the same six decks over and over again, it'll get boring. So you got to be able to buy new cards and be able to invest in improving. You need your to graduate deck. high school before you start worrying about that. Yeah. <laughs> so so I mean, hey Bruce, if you're hiring for that sort of job, let me know, man. I'll move after after senior year to New Hampshire if you give me a kind of job like that. Yeah, well, so, I mean, do you have any plans to come out and visit? I know you said you're going to come out for Porkfest next year, but, I mean, we mm -hmm. also have Liberty Forum next winter. Um, I don't know when you turn 18, when you can start traveling on your own, legally, so to speak, and coming out and visiting, but we do Liberty Forum at the end of February, early March every year. Um, that's a great time. I feel like someone like you, who's more on the academic side of things here, uh, might enjoy Liberty Forum a little bit more than your Porkfest if you're first tipping, dipping your toes in the water. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I it, I would have to see if I'm able to make it to that. I know I definitely like bring my dad along or something just for the fun of it, just so he can yeah. see it, what it's like. Uh, but maybe, maybe, I don't know. I'm definitely planning to go to Porkfest next year. Next next year is going to be great. I'll get to go to Porkfest. I'm going to try to go to, da try to drive down to Florida so I can visit like Jose Galison and Top Lobster at some point. I, I definitely want to do that in the future. That, you, hey, when you come out to Porkfest, you can take a selfie with Toad and show everyone how you're taller than him. Yeah, that that's for sure. Yeah, I'll have to do that. It's like, that's on the new Libertarian bucket list. Get a bucket, get a selfie with Toad and post it to Twitter to prove you're taller than him. Um, yeah. <laughs> not that anybody cares, but it's becomes fun. No, um, no, this has been fun. I, I, I'm looking forward to playing you in Magic and teaching you a thing or two about old school vintage Magic. Uh, 
welcome you to New Hampshire, get you a D&D's table once you get out here. Mm-hmm. Porkfest is going to be a real fun time when you come around. Um, let's, t- I mean, what what are some things that shocked you? So you're still kind of relatively new to the Liberty Movement. What are some things that still have, you have questions about that still bug you about the Liberty Movement and um, that you're still trying to figure out as a kid? Uh, I'm trying to figure out why we have the most beautiful philosophy in the world that's like balanced with understanding economics and understanding government and like how coercive the state is, but we don't have the social skills to actually talk about it. Like, come on, guys. How are we so socially inept that we are unable to make these ideas attractive at all? Like, God bless people like you and Dave Smith and Clint Russell and Scott Horton who are able to actually get up and talk to audiences and that they make it seem like maybe libertarian isn't all just a bunch of nerds with, like, neck beards sitting back in their chairs going, I'm actually an internet forms. Uh, I mean, have you been tested for autism, young David? I, I I, no, I have not. I have not been tested for that. I did like some weird test that um, that <laughs> yeah, but I had there. I, I did this weird online test that James Jenneman found out and it said like there's nothing, nothing weird at all about me. So I don't know. So, Maybe I, I don't um, think I got any weird libertarian autism. I because I, I can actually speak, I think. So we we had I was having a conversation with a group of friends once and it was a very autistic conversation um, at one of our libertarian social clubs here in New Hampshire, of which we have several. And there was a group of us lounging one day in the summer in the air conditioning, just having a conversation over some drinks in the base in the basement smoking lounge. And people were arguing about like how there's all this data and research done into people's upbringing and mental health conditions and like how people's socioeconomic upbringing and zip codes they're born and raised in can impact. <laughs> how they land in life uh, educationally and professionally. And I said, you know, it'd be really interesting to see a study done on uh, like what kind of socioeconomic upbringing and what kind of uh, mental health and um, all the conditions that go into making a libertarian. And somebody just quipped and like, that study's already been done. I'm like, oh, really? Who who wrote it? It's like Asperger. Probably, so, I mean, but no, and, and I just wanted to, to your point right there. I, I used to, when I traveled a lot, I used to travel a lot doing libertarian conventions and speaking, um, especially right after I published my book and, and to go talk about it. And people would always ask me like, how do you think people come to libertarianism? Like, what are the problems? Why can't, cause my book is about communication and how to communicate libertarian ideas, not just libertarian ideas, but any political ideas that you have to somebody who's unwilling to hear them. And the point I make to people is I think the problem is where people come from, how people become libertarian and that type of people that we do attract to libertarianism, where you have a few different inroads. You have a lot of people who just read their way to libertarianism. They cracked the book. They read a book. The book made sense to them. It clicked with them like, oh, that makes fucking sense. Where are my people? They're over there. And they just go to a convention and never leave the libertarian inner circle. They don't learn the communication skills because they're an academic type of autistic type of person who just lives in books, lives in theory and lacks the ability to communicate that to other people who don't already believe and understand it. And then you have a big group of people who come to the Liberty Movement and the Libertarian Party, especially who came as victims. They were a victim of the state in one manner or another, and they come um, hyper-focused on that one particular issue. And these people tend to make some of our best communicators because they come from a place of experience. They have a story to tell. 
they're not trying to preach on theory. They're trying to preach on experience and a story, something that people can empathize with and understand as it's told to them. The problem with these people is they tend to be our single issue activists. They tend to be uh, Lynn Ulbricht, who is an incredible storyteller and a, one of the world's greatest advocates for criminal justice reform. But she doesn't really know much other than criminal justice reform. Because that's what matters to her, because her son's a political prisoner who's being held for a double life sentence for a victimless crime. Um, and there's a lot of people like her, people who were a victim of the state in one manner, and they can become an incredible advocate, teacher, and ambassador for that particular issue, but not the rest of the philosophy. So they're not a very honed sword. They're very sh they have a very fine point, but no sharp edge to them. You, and then you know, you have, yep, go, go ahead. No, you, know, you finish what you're saying there. Oh, and that was, then you have like a third group. This is, I think, the smallest group of people that come to the liberty movement. And it's the people who came as agents of the state, people who realized that they were the bad guy, the reformed. And that's people like me, like Adam Kakesh, people who came from the military, people who had witnessed and perpetrated war crimes and then come to the conclusion of how bad the world had become and the role that we played in it and are coming to atone for those crimes by joining the liberty movement and fighting for freedom to help benefit other people's lives. And while we make very, very good communicators to other people like ourselves who are ready and willing to hear that message, people who may be susceptible to the academic message will never listen to our stories. Mm -hmm. So we end up with three very different groups of people with very different communication strategies and very different audiences to hear those communication strategies that don't work well together. Yeah. It's interesting. I don't know. I think that there's something to, you know, like, I think there's a there's a single issue kind of person that kind of actually is really good, a really good communicator for the philosophy. And I think that's the anti-war libertarians. Libertarians who focus on the anti-war message, I think they tend to be our strongest sure. communicators. You see, I think Tom Woods describes himself, like, in his little recent interview, it's, it's listed the making of an anti-war libertarian. Scott Horn sure. is an anti-war libertarian. Dave Smith, he doesn't talk so much about economics as, as like, you might think, Absolutely. but he's an anti-war libertarian. These but are some of our of that, best communicators. How much of that is just because war is the biggest issue of the time? Yeah. Like, I mean, I... If we lived in a time of peace, would the anti-war people be successful advocates for a message of liberty? Probably not, to be completely honest. But right, right. now, they tend to be our, our strongest communicators. Like right now, I don't know. I, I think the culture is generally with like, you know, like the drug warriors, like the people who like are single issue, like drug people. Yeah. Uh, but th th so there's nothing really inspiring about it. I think you, I think the issue you have to take on has to be a big one. It has to be a really big one right. to really inspire people and to be a really good communicator because you have to carry passion in what you say and how you portray it. So like anti-war libertarians, they have this passion in talking about, you know, stopping the mass murder that our government commits abroad. And, you know, the economic libertarians, a lot of the time they're they're trying to stop this never ending cycle that destroys lives and families and communities and nations. But you know what? Drug warriors know the culture is generally with us. They agree with us, so they have to go. They go, you know what? Prohibition doesn't really work, and people are like, generally, like, yeah, it doesn't work. I know. Right. Maybe, right. maybe I, I don't know. I think you gotta. It's gotta be a really, really, really big issue. You're, 
what you're touching on right here is my biggest criticism of Ryan Dawson. I don't know if we've been over this before, but uh, I hate Ryan Dawson not because of the things he says, but because of how he says them. Because every time I listen to Ryan Dawson talk, I agree with every word he says, and I just wish he had an ounce of passion in his voice when he delivered it. <laughs> yeah, like sound like Scott Horton when he speaks about these things. Like I've asked Scott Horton questions like that have got him angry and got him worked up in a passion. But you know what? That's Scott Horton at his best. That's what convinces people. That gets them impassioned to think hey maybe this guy is right you gotta have passion in what you say you gotta actually carry that energy you know you can't be monotone and talking like this because you know you know henry kissinger and him and the and pnac you know that's not inspiring you gotta you know what these mass murderers are committing a genocide in yemen and we're just allowing it you know what to appease the saudi arabians that actually sounds appealing to people yeah i mean let's be honest george bush went on stage this week and talked about the tragedy of a single man unilaterally launching a bloody, terrible, costly invasion of Iraq. Oh, I mean, oh, I mean uh, yeah. <laughs> the greatest blunder ever, but nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to mention it. Trending again in social media this week is Hillary Clinton saying, if I go down, I'm taking half of Washington with me. Please why do. Please just do it. <laughs> but why isn't everyone asking what half? <laughs> <laughs> like why is, there's no way that woman doesn't have dirt on everybody so we should be really curious about who she's leaving untouched when she decides to not bring them down yeah and that's a terrifying thought to me mm -hmm. but at the same time we have people on the left who are incredibly passionate about everything who've been reinvigorated brought out the leftist the activist base has been had a fire lit under its ass by a leak of a judicial ruling that won't actually impact anything because Roe v. Wade has nothing to do with abortion. And they're passionate about it. Yeah, and they make I think because they're passionate about think, what they do. Republicans I, have talked about peaceful protest and protecting the Second Amendment for generations, and they failed to do it at every opportunity because they don't actually have the passion to lose control like, and do what do, needs to be done. Why did Trump win? Because he was like, you see, these people are war criminals. They failed you and left you behind. I promise you a better future. That's why Trump won, because he actually had passion in what he said. Oh, the left has won, won for so long because they're like, uh, fuck, what was that? They're, you know what they're like? They're like, that is a massive problem. And you know what we need? We need revolution. And while they might not actually offer a revolution, they kind of, <laughs> they use the rhetoric and it gets people in passion. It gets them excited. You know, you know what got me to be a libertarian? Hearing Dave Smith on, a, on the Soho Forum debate stage say America is on a death spiral and we have the opportunity to save it. That passion is what got me to be a libertarian. Passion yeah. is what gets people. You have to actually care about what you're doing. You have to, you can't look at this like, oh, it's just a hobby. Yeah, I happen to agree with it. You actually have to have passion about what you're talking about, that this is the most beautiful philosophy in the world and that we need to carry it like it's the most beautiful thing ever. We need to actually talk about it and we need to have fire in our voices. So that way people actually know that we care about what we're talking about is that it's not some just casual hobby. That's know. a great place to end. That's a great point to learn. That's a great message to lean on. Uh, one co final comment from chat. Tyler points out, when have we lived in a time of peace in modern history? To my previous comment, you have a fair point, Tyler. I will concede the message. We have not lived in a time of peace in my lifestyle lifetime, which is why I still to this day say Donald Trump is the best president of my lifetime. I'm only 32, so that really only includes two Bushes, a Clinton, Obama, and a Trump. But Donald Trump was the best of my lifetime because it's the only one that didn't start a new war. On that, on that note, thank you so much for coming on, David. It's been fun. 
You are fiery, passionate. I look forward to seeing what you accomplish in the future, whether here in New Hampshire or somewhere else. Things could change. Things could happen. Where can everybody follow you? Keep up with what you're doing. And uh, I don't know, maybe give a shout out to your own channel here. Hey, uh, thanks for having me on, man. It's been a blast. Uh, but yeah, uh, Twitter's all that I really care about. I guess I'm also on Gavin <laughs> Minds for like the same on the same with the same. Those handle. aren't real. Yeah, but Twitter's all that I care about because Twitter's <laughs> fun. It has all the liberals. It's got all the conservatives. I can argue with all of them. But real David B. Jr., just Jr., not like spell out the full thing. Uh, you can find me there on Twitter. That's what I care about. Please help me get my Twitter following. I love my Twitter following. Uh, but I, my show is The Road to Providence. You can find it on YouTube and Odyssey. I do a Sunday special. I do a Friday night news wrap where I kind of talk about the news. I interview guests. You know, I got that going. And I would love you. I would love you everyone's support. So you can find my show there if you want to hear me more yell about Yemen and stuff like that. Uh, so we'll check him out. Link to his channels in the description of the video and podcast you're watching or listening to. So give it a visit, give it a subscribe, give him a like, and check out his content. If uh I remember correctly, I believe I was his first guest. So it's a yeah, great you show. You're the very first, Launched you're the off. very first guest. All right. Thank you for coming, David. Thank you for tuning in, everybody. Thank you for the comments. Thank you for the chats. Make sure to give a like, give some comments, reviews, and feedback. And until next time, be free. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Subversive. Make sure to like, subscribe, and turn on notifications to get alerted every time we go live on YouTube. And make sure to leave some comments and reviews on whatever platform you listen on to let me know what you thought of this episode. And a huge thanks and shout out to our sponsors and the awesome members of the Insurgency on Patreon. If you enjoyed this content, you can join the Insurgency on Patreon by following the links in the description for patreon.com slash And if you can't catch the show live, you can always catch it the next day on YouTube, Odyssey, Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, CastBox, and wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts every day. So until next time, everybody, be free.